BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. It is Friday, February 12th, and pre-recorded from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the return of Illinois State Rep. K.C. Kelly Cassidy. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. I know everybody's saying, hey, where's the funny jokes? Where's the opening line ripping Trump and Republicans and MAGA and making fun of Lori Lightfoot and all that other stuff that you usually do? Where is that stuff, Ben? Well, we had to take the day off. Dr. D uh, is going on some trip somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. So I said, you know what I'll do? I'll do a pre-recorded interview with the great, the legendary State representative from the north side of Chicago, a dear friend of this show. I stick with them. Other may, other people may have abandoned her, but I stick with my friends. Kelly, Casey, Cassidy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. It's good to see you. I, I miss the days when we could actually, you know, like make fun of each other in person. Yes, I know. Those days are gone, I think. Well, maybe. Uh, no, we'll that's not true. We'll, we'll get back. to the vaccine. We'll get to the vaccine. Eventually, capitalism will figure out a way where everybody can get vaccinated and they can still make their money. And uh, we'll be back at the hideout or uh, what have you. Uh, I must say, I haven't seen you in a while. And I, I'm, I don't want to embarrass you, but you got this purple streaks in your hair, which I'm really loving. It's like a freak flag thing. And I'm an old Jimi Hendrix, let your freak flag fly kind of guy. So I'm loving it, Kelly. Keep it. I, I, the, I, I am a big believer in letting your freak flag fly. Hence the, hence the purple, which back in November was blue. It's been pink. It's uh, Any particular fun. reason why person purple right now? Um, it's my favorite color. Uh, all right, that's good enough. Okay, uh, we yeah, I we'll can't get... go into some like you know unity blah blah. No, I just like purple. You were really hoping that you were going to be able to mock my unity idea, right? No, here you, yeah, <laughs> unity. Unity is the theme of the day, uh, not just in the uh, country with Joe Biden and the Republicans, not just in Springfield. Uh, with Chris Welch and Jim Durkin, uh, but also, of course, on the north side of Chicago, the 7th Senatorial District, uh, Kelly Cassidy and Michael Simmons and uh, Alderman Harry Osterman uh, are going to have a kumbaya. Listen, I'll, we'll get this out of the way fast and get on to the issues of the day. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was rooting for you. Everybody knows I said on the show, uh, I don't know Michael Simmons. I've never met the man. I'm, I'm sure he's going to be a, a very good 
progressive voter in Springfield. Uh, and I don't I, I may have made this joke consistently, uh, Kelly, just because he worked for Rom. I don't necessarily hold <laughs> that against him. I'm open minded. All right. Not just because people, you know, they, they work for Rom for all different reasons. Yeah, uh, he's a great, great guy. I've known him for I, I don't even know how long, a, a lot of years. Um, and uh, he's he's smart and he's funny and he's clever and he's um, thoughtful and really a, a warm human being. So I think he's going to do great. Um, he's got serious policy chops. Uh, so I think he's going to do great. Uh, I spent some, I spent some time in the, uh, on my drive down to Springfield uh, telling him, you know, which exits to use and not use, which, uh, you know, where, where to get Dunkin' Donuts on the drive down. The truly important things you need <laughs> to start this job on the right foot. Uh, and uh, what we're talking about, of course, everybody who listens to the show knows because we've been talking about it a lot. Uh, Heather Staines, the uh, incumbent uh, state senator, stepped down. Uh, I was a little caught off guard by that, to put it mildly. Uh, she just got elected uh, in November. She stepped down. There was a vacancy in the way we fill vacancies uh, in the state of Illinois in cases like this. is the committeemen in the district get together uh, and make an appointment. Uh, in this case, it would go, there's an election. Oh, my God, it's right around the corner. It's, yeah. it's only, it's only, so it's really only one year. Yeah, uh, we'll have and, petitions on the street in the summer, you know, yeah. late summer, August, September. All right. And so uh, you already said you said this to me and you said this in the press that you just don't want to talk about the process. You want to put it behind you uh, and just be a good team player. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this has never been this was never a question of, you know, whether Mike's a good guy um, because he is. Uh, You know, we've done a lot of cool stuff together over the years and now we're going to do a lot more. All right, very good. All right, so uh, Kelly Cassidy, and you will be uh, continuing on. You were just you just won re-election yourself as I state did. representative. I did, yeah. So I I uh, I get to stay in the house um, where I keep my seniority and uh, you know my, my my good parking space and you know all of the things that go along with that. Um, and and really, most importantly, my new committee, um, which is going to be a whole lot of fun for a big old policy geek like me. Um, working on issues of restorative justice. All right, we'll get into issues of restorative yeah. justice. Uh, before we do, though, I got to say, just even though the show is being dropped on a Friday, it's very much Tuesday when I'm talking to you, and my mind is still, I'm still getting over the, the death of uh, my dear friend oh. and hero, uh, Karen Lewis. And I've just been collecting thoughts from different people as to her legacy in Chicago, a former head, of course, of the Chicago Teachers Union and uh, led the teachers on their uh, strike in 2012 that sort of changed the map, politically speaking, in the city of Chicago. Your thoughts on Karen Lewis and her legacy? Um, she, there, a, a hole has been blown in, in our world, in progressive power. Uh, in 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 our city, she uh, she was, you know, all of every cliche you could imagine applies. She was indeed a literal force of nature, um, and you know, I I got to come up in this job at the height of her 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 work with CTU, and um, you know, we we did share a couple jokes about uh, being the being uh, unex- about the way the ways people react to learning that we're Jewish. Um, so we had that in common. 
That is so deep. Let's just talk about that for a moment, Kelly. That is so deep and so true. And uh, I'm not going to really try not to cry, but I had so many conversations with Karen about her religion and what it meant to her. Uh, And she was raised, I want to say Lutheran, uh, some Protestant denomination. I apologize to all Protestants out there. Uh, and then at, at late in life, relatively late in life, I guess her 30s, she went on an exploration and she tried them all out. And she liked Judaism the best and she became Jewish. And when people who were born Jewish, Kelly, I'm going to tell you this, meet someone <laughs> who is like decided to become Jewish or like, you look at him like, you realize this is no stroll in the park. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard of Manga? Uh, <laughs> you know, have you heard of Mary Miller, Congressman? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, so talk a little bit about your, I mean, just, yeah, talk about that, the affinity I, you have our, with Karen on that. Our, our journeys were very similar. Um, I was I was also raised with um a specific religious identity. My family was very identified with the Catholic church. Um, I consciously left the church when I was young. Um, and then it similarly in my twenties started, you know, testing the buffet and really found, um, found my home in Judaism in, in, in for similar reasons. Like, first of all, you know, people who ask questions and make trouble tend to fit in pretty well in our faith. And, uh, and that was for both of us, like that, that when we would talk about the the very small number of times we talked about it, but like, that was the thing. It was like, I was drawn to the ways that, that you get to immerse yourself in it. It becomes, you know, and the ways our personalities fit it. So, um, that was, it, it, it was nice to have something in common like that with her. Yeah. By the way, do uh, people who were born Jewish give you the same disbelief? Like you did this? What? Yes. What are you thinking? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's always there, there, there's always like a you know why'd you have to do that kind of thing instead of a hey this was really cool and I wanted to live here <laughs> thing. Um, so it, it, they do tend to feel like you you know what. What'd you do to get to, to get that sentence? You know, why do you have to <laughs> like, no, I, I actually picked it. I yeah. wanted to be here. Um, and I, when I told my mom I was converting, um, her response to me, uh, harkened back to the day I told her I was leaving the church when she told me she was going to pray every day that I was going to let God back into my life. And so when I told her that I was converting to Judaism, she said, without missing a beat, I guess I should have been more specific. oh my god that's hilarious well i tell you what people make all kinds of predictions uh my mom may she rest in peace was very concerned that i didn't send my kids uh to uh religious school and i just not a very religious person and she goes they're gonna turn they're gonna become gentile they're gonna become gentile she made this prediction may she rest in peace and I, mom if you're listening and i know you somehow or other you are your youngest granddaughter is a hebrew school teacher so it, <laughs> it didn't work the way you thought it would meanwhile mine declared themselves atheists uh, during their bar mitzvah you know so it's wow that would have been hell of a speech uh, uh, one the, of the old kids speech were... this year did give the speech. Like there was one in his year, one kid did give an atheist speech. 
I was like, wow, kid. Yeah. Um, no. My guy just decided he was later. You know? Yeah. No, there, there's, I've been to many bar mitzvahs uh, where, well, not many, at least a couple, where the kid just goes, you know, I just want to say, uh, right. as long as you gave me the microphone. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's talk about the changes in Springfield. Uh, since the last time we talked, um, you were one of the few state reps who had um, said that it was time for Michael Joseph Madigan to move on. Uh, and uh, since then, he has moved on as Speaker of the House. He's still a state rep. At least last I looked, he was. And Chris Welch is now the Speaker of the House. Uh, you voted present on that vote. Let's just uh, catch everybody up to date. Your thoughts um, yeah. on and and your your one of your uh, mates in the House of Representatives threw her hat in my state rep, uh, Ann Williams threw yep. her hat in the ring for a while. Yep. All right, so did. just talk talk about it all. Go ahead. So. Um, yeah, you know, for, for a while there, it was a solo effort on my part. And, um, then over the course of the summer, we, uh, our, our numbers grew. There were eight of us early in the year, um, you know, after the primary and after the, um, the comment allegations were revealed by the end, there were 19 of us, um, really simply united around the singular fact that it was time for Madigan to go. Um, you know, we were not a block of any other kind. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, as you said, Ann Williams threw her hat in, Kathy Willis threw her hat in, Stephanie Kiffewitt threw her hat in. People kept thinking I was going to. I kept saying we, the fact of the matter is I didn't do this because I wanted to be speaker. I did this because I wanted us to have a new speaker. Um, and when, uh, when the speaker suspended his campaign, uh, we had Jay Hoffman and Chris Welch step forward. <clears throat> It all shook out, and and, uh, and Chris was the nominee from the caucus. The night it was announced, lots of old stories about him resurfaced, and um, I went to him, and you know, he and I have had a, always had a good relationship. He jokes that I taught him how to use Twitter, and now he's the king of TikTok. So you know, he, he's definitely outpaced me on social media. But um, you know, I, I went to him and said, you know, I've spent all these years saying that we need to believe women, you know, without having time to blow through all of these things, I, I, I would be more comfortable voting present. And he actually said, I think that's the right vote for you. Um, you know, we, we had a good conversation and was, and he got it. He understood why mm -hmm. um, it was not a ding on him at all. It was really about the fact that I have taken that, that position for so long. Mm -hmm. And that so many of the, uh, of, of, you know, domestic violence survivors and sexual harassment survivors, you know, look to me. Um, and as a domestic violence survivor myself, I default to standing up for the, for those survivors. So that's, that's all it was. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to voting for his rules tomorrow. Uh, you know, we were, we are finally you know, seeing some movement on that front, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have leadership term limits. Um, you know, there, we'll have the ability to work remotely during the rest of the pandemic. So, you know, there, there's already, um, improvement happening. So wow. it's been good. I, uh, yeah. And then just so folks know, we talked about this show many times, but, uh, there was a police report from about 2002, I want to say, uh, in which, uh, an unnamed former uh, girlfriend of Chris Welch claims that he beat her up. Uh, he says it didn't happen, and uh, uh, the person in the complaint has never come forward. So, 
not sure what anybody can literally and he, do about he has it. actually right exactly and he has said that she you know she she supports him and 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 i have no reason to doubt that but in that moment with 12 hours before we were going to vote there was no way to do any of those things <laughs> Well, all right. I'm going to share you with my thoughts about uh, Chris Welch and uh, as a legislator and, and you give me your reaction. I've known Chris for a while. He's come on the show a few times. Uh, I like him and uh, I think he's a capable, uh, he'll be a very good speaker. I thought I, my, my advice, which of course, I can't believe the Democrats actually ended up doing what I suggested is Madigan would step down, hand things over to Chris Welch and be his text winner, the old guy on the bench who gives him advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chris Welch is a, I think I told you this, he plays his cards close to his vest. He's that old poker cliche. <laughs> uh, you don't know what he's thinking. And uh, I told him, man, I would never want to play poker against you because you got a great poker face. Uh, so what's your sense knowing that, that uh, Chris plays those cards close to his vest, of how he's going to run the General Assembly, what sorts of issues he's going to push uh, and advance uh, in this coming year. Yeah. So, you know, his very first act was to form three collaborative working groups on the issues that people were raising in the discussions around a speaker race, you know. The, the, the issues of wanting changes to the House rules, wanting, um, you know, better communication, better staffing decisions, things like that. So so there's an operations working group. There's there's a communications working group and there's there's an ongoing rules exploration working group. And that alone pulling in uh, members to 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 be part of a process is a sea change. Um, and it bodes well for how he's going to operate, you know, in the rest of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has been very, very, uh, very engaged with members and um, really heard the things that people were concerned about and complaining about. Uh, so in terms of rest- rest- restorative justice, the issue yeah. that uh, is motivating you at this point in your career, how do you think uh, he how receptive will he be to that? Well, it was his idea, actually. He, um, as we were working through the the committee process, he suggested that this might be something. That, he suggested it was something he would like to bring back, and he thought it would be a good idea for me to lead this um, because of my time on on the Judiciary Criminal Committee as vice chair. I was vice chair of restorative justice, the the term that it when it existed. Um, and, and we talked about it really as a steam vent for the incredibly busy, crowded schedule in, in Judiciary Criminal um, to, to be able to let issues get the kind of discussion they deserve. Um, so dividing up that work and using this as an opportunity to, to allow the time that some of these issues really need for discussion. So this was his idea. And so get specific. Tell folks what what you mean by restorative justice in terms of new laws, a new yeah. way of approaching criminal justice. And 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 the truth is a, a criminal justice system isn't a restorative justice system. Right. Criminal justice is focused on retribution and restorative justice is exactly what what it sounds like for everyone not just the, the, that a victim gets made whole, but that we're also restoring that offender 
to um, to a productive space in our world. Um, and doing that through a much more collaborative process. Um, so, you know, there, there are lots of things out there that can be really easily applied and looked at. But ultimately what it comes down to is an, an acknowledgement that, you know, incarceration isn't always the answer. That doesn't always make us safer. It certainly doesn't always make uh, survivors and victims whole. And so, you know, having that fully thought out conversation um, is, is going to make a difference in our system ultimately. One of the initiatives that passed in the last session uh, was the abolition of bail. And yep. there were articles throughout the, uh, in Chicago, Chicago sometimes and Tribune, police officers, law enforcement officials said, that's it, folks. They've just given the uh, green light to criminals to go mug you and uh, beat you up and steal your car, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, I have strong feelings when I hear that, but I just what? how do you respond when you hear uh, police officers and the right wing Republicans say these kinds of things? I, I would love to know on what planet $250 in your pocket makes you not a threat to me. Like the, 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 the idea that someone's wealth is the measure of whether they need to be put in a cage is just ridiculous. You know, it, whether it, you know, we, we have cash bail now. We won't have cash bail when, when this is implemented. Judges are still supposed to be making those decisions based on facts, not on wealth. Now they have to do it based on facts. So that's my reaction to that. In other words, <laughs> uh, go a little deeper. What do you mean by basing it just on facts? On, on a risk assessment, on your history, do you, do you actually present a threat? Do you actually present a threat to not show up in court? Are you putting anyone in danger by being out in the community? It's really that simple. And there are, there are great tools available that, that we should be using and we should be depending on rather than just leaving them off to the side and questioning whether somebody has enough money to go or not. Um, that, it's, it's that simple. The number of times when I was in, you know, when I was working at the jail that I would talk to someone who you know, they got picked up. There was a guy that had, I think it was two Viagras in his pocket. First of all, I don't know why you need two. I don't want to talk about it, but he had, <laughs> he had, he, he had two loose pills in his pocket Yeah. and he had been in, he'd been in custody for almost a month because he needed $250 to get out. That is insanity by its very definition. Yeah. Like, I, I, again, don't really want to talk about those two Viagra, but I'm pretty sure you don't present a threat to me. Wait a minute. Let me <laughs> make sure. I've I, I I never heard this example before. So excuse my utter ignorance. Why is it against the law he to have, have a prescription for it? So it could put you in jail for having. Yep. I'm momentarily speechless. Um. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy stuff like that. Or, you know, the pregnant woman who stole a candy bar and two plums who was in there for four months and almost delivered. Like, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I, uh, this is a raw idea that I'm exposing to the world. Just listen to you. Uh, but I think Republicans are more sympathetic to your position uh, than they would ever let on 
if it's Republicans, so let me follow who are it's who who, who are facing the consequences. For instance, when uh, MAGA mob got fired up by uh, listening to too much Donnie Trump and uh, stormed the Capitol, the initial reaction, I'm not making this up, you can go back and look at it. The initial reaction of John Canizero, who's the president of the Fraternal Order of Police here in the city of Chicago mm-hmm. and loves Donnie Trump, wears a Trump t-shirt proudly, okay? Second Amendment guy, big supporter yep. of Trump, all right? He said, cash bail, elimination cash bail, man, that's just gonna be, criminals are gonna be going crazy. I was thinking, he was one of the guys who said it. But his initial reaction when MAGA stormed the Capitol was, you gotta understand, they were upset. They're upset because they believe this, the election was stolen from them. So I'm like, man, you sound like a, a lakefront liberal. That's what like a lakefront liberal would say. You know what I mean? Well, I, the, the guy had a rough upbringing. He was, things were rough for him. So Kelly Cassidy, you got some, you may put a potential ally uh, in the John Canizares of the world if you could just get them to view everybody like a MAGA person. Right, right. You know, maybe, maybe that's what we need is just like put a red hat on everybody. And then he'll then he'll be cool with them. I don't know that guy. I I can't even begin that that one. Oof. Oof. All right. Well, let's talk <laughs> about the possibility of, of unity uh, outside of John Cannon's era. I uh, saw. So, uh, I think it was Rich Miller put this out in Capital Facts. It was an interesting graph of uh, Senator Durbin's. Uh, margin of victory in the first election he had. It was a, a two, what was that, 1996? I'm losing track of time. And his last, 2020. And the state, Kelly, has become so much more stratified in terms of uh, political differences. So it's just yeah. a huge red south, southern Illinois. Whereas when he first ran, it was blue in chunks. Yeah. Like he was winning majority yeah. of the votes and throughout and now it's like big giant blue around in chicago and suburban cook and even out in dupage yeah uh you have any hope of breaking down these divisions going forward in springfield well i mean you know in terms of our ability to work cooperatively i mean that's very different than you know whether our voters can right like that's i don't think people fully appreciate the extent to which we actually mostly treat each other like humans um, and, and, and care about each other and, and acknowledge that we are for the most part family here. Um, And, and so we are able to have some of those interactions and, and I will say it's not as um, it's not as, as, as easy as it was when I first got here. But, you know, I like I'm still, uh, you know, I I only have one bill that had a partisan ro- roll call in my entire career. And and Which I'm, bill was I, that? that was the Reproductive Health Act. Not surprisingly, um, it broke my streak of of every single roll call. I always had Republican votes, um, even, you know, because, I you know, if you're going to do the work, if you're willing to do the work, those relationships can be built and those those co-working opportunities can be made. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have to keep doing that and we have to show that, ex- that example and lead so that eventually maybe our voters can feel the same way as for, you know, the, 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 the makeup of the state. Yeah. We have, we have really lost all of the Southern Illinois um, contingent, you know, or, or most of it. And um, you know, when I came in, we had Brandon Phelps and Jerry Costello and, 
you know, they're, they're, we, we've lost a lot of guys, uh, a lot, a lot of uh, folks who, who are now represented by Republicans. So that that change seems pretty solid. Um, and, and, and you mentioned DuPage, you know, going blue. I mean, look at all the new Democratic members from DuPage. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I uh, I see. I don't see any sign that this weakening, uh, and particularly in the face of the impeachment and the way uh, I before right before we started this interview, I saw that there was a a party line vote on impeachment. I don't know if you saw that in the Senate today. Uh, it was the first oh, day. No, of the, I didn't. Yeah, it was a party line vote. Uh, again, it was another motion to uh, throw out. Uh, the indictment, if you will, on the grounds that uh, it's unconstitutional. This time, six Republicans joined the Democrats. First time, it was only five, I want to say. So right. this time, so like at this rate, they may, if they give them two years, they may make it up to 17. Uh, there goes that train you were talking about. Yeah, there goes the freight train. Oh, my goodness. There's uh, I got the brown line uh, next to my house, and Kelly's got some kind of choo-choo train down there in Springfield. Um so how do you guys deal with it? Like with your Republican uh, colleagues in Springfield, do you just not talk about impeachment? Do you uh, not talk about MAGA and Trump or you just avoid it? How do you get along with them on this point? Well, I mean, the reality is we haven't been together much for the last year. So that's probably helped um, in that regard. But, you know, like there were a couple of Republican members who, who in particular, after um, after the the insurrection at the Capitol, really found them found their voices um, and have have gone pretty hard on that stuff. And I've been happy to see that. Tim Butler is a great example of that. Um, you know, I, I think that there are folks here who are showing setting the example of you can, you know, you 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 don't have to abandon your party to embrace common sense and decency. Although it does seem like uh, the vast majority, I know Tim Butler has spoken out and Adam Kinzier, let's talk about Adam Kinzier. Yeah, exactly. Congressman from the 16th congressional district uh, is essentially waging a one man war against MAGA in the Republican party. Uh, How do you think that's going to play out? I mean, I I'm curious how it's going to play out. I've been really impressed. His, you know, he's, he's, he has been very consistent and very strong in, in spite of some pretty intense pressure uh, to the contrary. So, um, you know, we'll see where that lands him, um, you know, maybe on a statewide ticket from what it looks like. So, <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if he, if he can continue to withstand the pressure um, because I, I can imagine um, it, it's uh it isn't it isn't fun. I can tell you, you know, being a, an outlier myself in my party, sometimes uh, it can get. It can get hard. Yeah. Uh, yes. Kelly's talking about outlier in her party. She was uh, like, like she said earlier, one of the few who spoke, uh, who called on Michael Madigan to step down before it became fashionable. All right. Uh, big pet peeve of mine. Let's talk about this. We haven't talked about this in a while. Uh, legalized cannabis. We call it reefer on the Ben Jarofsky show. I was so excited when it was legalized. I've been so disappointed uh, with how the state seems incapable of getting uh, entrepreneurial licenses in the hands of black people. And it's just like you and I've talked about this so much. They're the ones who paid the price 
and the yep. freaking war on drugs. And now it's all these rich white guys selling the reefer. Kelly, I'm like, what the hell? What happened? Talk about this. What happened is that it is a long story arc. You know, we are building this this plane as we're flying it. And, you know, the, the truth is that we still haven't been able to test the model um, for for how to how how we we designed a process that would withstand legal scrutiny um, to be able to to do the social equity licenses um, until the until we can get to a point where we can do race based set asides. Right. We have to prove that they are needed. Um, and it, it goes beyond the fact that you and I, with our naked eye, could say, yep, it's needed. Um, but, yeah. in, you know, we've watched it play out in other states where very specific steps have to be taken. And so that's that's the reason for the social equity model. Um, the problem with getting them out, you know, there were some some issues with the ways that the that they were scored. There were some issues with interpretation of language in the bill. We've now got litigation around it. Um, I have never seen a more litigious industry than the cannabis industry. So um, we should probably get used to that. Um, My hope is that we're going to get another lottery scheduled really, really fast now that we're up and running as a legislature so that we can sort of bypass this group that's locked in litigation and get some new ones out. Um, So that's one, one step we're hoping to take getting the, the, Long delayed, uh, also long delayed, uh, craft and infuser and transport licenses out the door is another uh, step that we're that that hopefully will happen pretty soon. Um, so you know, a lot of this is implementation challenges, and we know, and we knew this from the start, that it's not going to be. You know, we talked about when we were working on the bill. It takes five years for a market to mature, and I, I I'm going to put an asterisk on that because we've basically lost a year and a half. Mm-hmm to the pandemic and to the licensing delays. Um, but we've got to, we've got to go through this to, to actually get to the place where the industry looks like we want it to look. And none of us are stopping until it does. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. There, there will be no looking away until we get it right. Um, the things that are working are working great. You know, the R3 money is going out the door now. That first round of, of grants from the Restore, Reinvest, Renew uh, 25% of all the tax revenue goes into this fund that is used to benefit communities uh, impacted by the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, those first funding decisions are, are starting to come out. The, the expungements are going great. Um, so, so some pieces are working better than others, but we'll get there. And this, uh, do you get a lot of phone calls uh, from uh, black entrepreneurs saying, hey, what the hell happened? And yep. And you yeah, tell and, them and the same we have thing. the same conversation that you and I just had. Yeah, um, you know that that you know, and and you can't say be patient because you know you've been patient for decades, right? Um, so it isn't that. It's I'm sorry, we're getting there, right? Like we're we. Between the scoring issues and the pandemic, you know, I don't think that we could have come up with a worse process to, to be in. All right. You mentioned the pandemic. I said to you before we went on the air, uh, I just shake my head. The older I get, the less I understand of the world. We live, uh, we have a solution. We have a vaccine, Kelly. And yet somehow yep. or other, we see me. I was like, why can't you just mask for, let me explain. You 
like you can mass produce Viagra. It doesn't seem like there's a Viagra. You know what I'm saying? We, but we like, have a shortage of that. Yeah, it's like let me. The one dude had two pills. Okay, uh, <laughs> still don't know what he's doing with that second pill. Yeah, I don't uh, want to know. I don't want to know because then we're going to get back to my ultrasound bill, and you know we don't want to go down that road again. Uh, that was uh, that's when I fell in love with Kelly Cassidy at ultrasound. <laughs> bill. All right, um, so your analysis of why our country seems incapable of getting vaccines to the people of our country. Well, I mean, you know, it, we're, we are more than a year into the pandemic and the grown up just got in the room. You know, the, 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 the federal leadership on this is why people are dying today. Right. Like the, the, there is, no other answer but that, you know, whether we're talking about how hard it was to get PPE at the beginning of the pandemic or the fact that, you know, we we're not getting all of the vaccine that we should be getting here mm. um, is it's about the, the lack of federal leadership at the beginning. And and so. You know, we're, we're hoping that production amps up. We're starting to hear in our briefings that, you know, the, things are going to loosen up a little bit soon. Um, you know, but meanwhile, we're all fielding calls with folks who are struggling to figure out how to get it, how, you know, how, how the distribution's working. There's a lot of confusion on that front as well. Um, and, you know, while that's partially at the federal level, there's also issues of state and local government that, that could be better coordinated. It's very confusing to hear, you know, folks that, in, in a district like mine in particular, where I've got a little bit of Evanston and mostly Chicago, you know, everybody's getting different information from different sources. And, and, and that's been really frustrating for people, particularly older folks who, you know, they really just want the, the damn answer, you know, yeah. like, um, so that, that has been hard. Yeah. I uh, I tend to go uh, in, in a socialist direction. Uh, I think there's something fundamentally wrong with capitalism uh, that we have to have a profit motive and that has to be controlled by private entities as opposed to controlled by yeah. the people. I think yeah. that's kind of where I had. That's the Bernie Sanders in me. All right, we'll close it down with a, uh, I didn't tell you this in the pre-show, but I have to ask you. Uh, fair tax question. Uh, since the last time we talked, fair tax uh, lost. So now you, the legislators, are going to have to convene and figure out uh, how to raise the money uh, to run government. Thank you very much, Kenny G, Ken Griffin, uh, and Phyllis with your commercial about uh, uh, how somehow or other the fair tax is going to tax retirement benefits. Uh, so I don't want to uh, go through voter shaming anymore. I've kind of working my way through that, Kelly. Uh, st still not quite over the 2015 mayoral election and shaming Chicago voters for reelecting Rom. It takes me a while <laughs> to work this stuff through. Uh, you, 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 and we all have our process. I'm going <laughs> to say shout out to the amazing democracy beasts of the 49th Ward for getting the highest percentage for fair tax in the state. Right there, Forty Ninth Ward. Is that for real? I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. What? Yeah, one, actually, one of my Republican colleagues uh, pulled that data for me and sent it to me. Do you know what the per percentage was? I don't. I oh. don't. Well, it should have been ninety nine percent, Forty Ninth Ward. You would think <laughs> I'm not, exactly. I'm voter shaming the people who actually did the right job. That's how bad I am. <laughs> Stop voter shaming. 
Uh, all right. So what? Do you, uh, so you don't have the fair tax. You can't raise the rates on the wealthiest people. So it's across the board rate hike. Uh, if there is a tax hike, how do you figure the state's going to pay its bills this time around? It's it is going to be brutal. There's no question. Um, you know, anything we do on the revenue side, it's really, really hard to do in a way that isn't regressive, right? Because what's available to us is, is, you know, expand the sales tax base, increase the income tax, maybe offset it with a, an increased earned income tax credit or something. But, you know, fundamentally, it's still going to be very, very challenging to do it in a way that doesn't just pile on lower wage earners like everything else has. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to get really creative, um, as we work on that, looking at the corporate tax loopholes that we haven't already closed, um, you know, talking about what kinds of, uh, sales tax, uh, changes could in fact be a, you know, frankly, just a little bit more progressive than, you know, whether it's, it's targeting them to, you know, high, high, high income categories um or or finding a way to you know provide some offset for people i don't know but it's uh it's going to be a really tough year and you know whatever you do well not you're safe because you're in uh, rogers park but they're going to use this against jb pritzker you you, yeah. you know what i mean the republicans well, are not going to turn getting a taste of it already right like so in the last um covid relief bill there was a, a little easter egg for big corporate taxpayers, um, that that is uh, that allows some of the highest corporate tax uh, categories to reach back five years and take any additional yeah. losses they weren't able to claim. So, so if you if your losses were greater than the maximum, you can now reach back five years and pick up that difference and take it now. Well, Illinois is a state that is. There's a term for it, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's we we are we we are presumed to match up our tax codes. There's a mm-hmm. presumption that our tax codes will match up with the feds, and so we have to proactively decouple from any federal tax laws that we don't want to impose here in Illinois. So we're we tried during lame duck session to decouple from this big corporate tax giveaway. Meanwhile, you know, our local chambers and business groups are telling all of our teeny tiny little mom and pop shops that this is about them when it, that is simply not the case, right? Like this is about, you know, the, the, these giant corporate entities, you know, sucking more air out of the room, which will ultimately hurt small businesses to take that revenue off the table. It, it, these small businesses aren't the most, there's no way that this is going to happen to them. And it's, you know, so I, I, they, they've given us some statistics on it. Like it, the, it really is a one percenter kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, it's outrageous um, that, that this, these lies have been peddled, but that's how the Republicans have, have characterized it. Um, and we got to get it right. Yeah. And you're going to be uh, another $500 million hole in our budget. Yeah. Uh, which will uh, there be an attempt to close that five hundred million dollar hole by raising taxes on everybody at the same rate across the board, which is very regressive. Uh, so we end up where we started. Uh, all right, Kelly Cassidy, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, and um, 
you know, stay safe and sound in your compound Thank there you. in Springfield next to the train. <laughs> Let, let's hope that purple hair wards off the virus. Right, that's uh, what it is. It's my it's my COVID proof hair. That's what it is. <laughs> all right. It's been uh, too long talking to you, Kelly. It's great talking to you as always. You stay uh, safe. All right. You do, too. And uh, be well, Dennis. Have a good trip. All right. Very good. That's Kelly Cassidy. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.